When a uh, entertainment headline from last Sunday night, Keith Urban said he was leaving the Grammy Award show ASAP to take care of his wife, Nicole Kidman. Now, the Grammys are in Los Angeles, and uh, Keith and Nicole live in Australia, so it's a bit of a trip. Nicole had the flu, but Keith said not to worry because he left her in the care of their two daughters, ages 9 and 11. Before leaving ASAP, uh, Keith presented the award for Best Pop Solo Performance. He also gave an interview where he told fans they can expect him to release a bunch of new music this year. See, I, I really hope that Nicole hadn't called him and said, Honey, I'm sick. Hurry home. Because I don't think that fits the v vision of what ASAP means. When a loved one needs you, the expectation is that you drop everything and you go to them right away. And that's why people were very perplexed when Jesus did not do that. He didn't. There was a family he was very close to. Two sisters, Martha, Mary, their brother Lazarus. They lived in Bethany of Judea, just outside of Jerusalem. Jesus had often, it seems, stayed with his family in their home. Uh, Martha had welcomed Jesus and his disciples into their house. Mary sat at his feet, absorbed by the teaching of Jesus. He loves this family. They love him. Mary, Martha, Lazarus are devoted followers of Jesus. We come to John chapter 11, and it opens up with the news that Lazarus is violently ill. Uh, his sisters send Jesus a message. They say, uh, Lord, come quickly. Uh, come to the side of your sick friend whom you love. But Jesus doesn't rush to the side of his sick friend. In fact, he stays two days longer where he's at without even starting the journey toward Bethany. And finally, after that, delay, he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they say, well, the last time we were there, the religious leaders wanted you dead. We probably shouldn't go back. Jesus said, well, I need to wake up Lazarus. And they say, well, if he's sick, it's probably best to let him sleep. Jesus replies, actually, Lazarus is already dead, but let's go to him. And one of the disciples said, well, we should follow, because if Jesus is going to get killed, we might as well go with him, and die with him. Well, that's the background to the amazing statement of Jesus that we focus on this morning. In this series, we're studying the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Every one of them is crucial. And so far, we've heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And uh, the statement Jesus makes today is one that you and I desperately need. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Why is this so important? Well, on that same day Keith Urban was rushing home to Australia, uh, I'm sure all of you are well aware that basketball legend Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. Tragically, eight other people died with him, including his 13-year-old daughter. Grief struck the sports world and fans around the globe. As the Houston Rockets took the floor for their game Sunday afternoon, right after hearing the news, several players were visibly shaken with tears in their eyes. Mavericks owner Mark Cuban said, we can never forget how precious life is. Hawks star Trey Young 
said, this is the biggest example that life isn't promised to anybody. Chaplain Barry Black referenced the loss in his prayer for the Senate on Monday, reminding lawmakers of, quote, life's brevity and uncertainty and to make the most of their time on earth, unquote. So what Jesus says, that he is the resurrection of life, cuts to the very heart of the enemy that is death. We grieve the loss of those we love. We face the prospect of our own death that, let me break it to you, is closer today than it was yesterday. Death is the boulder hurtling down on top of us as we stand in its shadow, not knowing exactly when it will strike. And so we read this, John chapter 11, picking up story. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, appreciate that Jesus didn't just show up a little late. The funeral's over. The body was laid to rest. The mourners had gathered to comfort the family. Now, understand that in those days there were some rabbis who taught that when a person died, the soul sort of hovered over the body for three days, hoping to return. But after three days, when decomposition was obvious, the soul would leave permanently, according to these rabbis. So, so even for these superstitious religious teachers, it was too late for Lazarus. Four days in the tomb meant he was really dead. I did some research into decomposition of bodies, and I'll spare you a lot of gruesome detail. But according to forensic, forensic anthropologist Dr. Voss, decomposition begins four minutes after death. And as soon as blood circulation and respiration stop, enzymes are released that begin devouring cells from the inside out. After three to six hours, the muscles stiffen. And if a body is not cooled, if a body is not embalmed and treated, but it left on its own, after three days, then the, the stiffness loosens, gases expand, and there's bloating and discoloration and an extremely offensive smell of decay. After 72 hours, the rate of decomposition accelerates as it enters this third stage of decomposition. And that was the point where some rabbis taught that there was no more possibility for the soul to return because, as the rabbi said, now the shape of the face was no longer recognizable. And that's the stage that Lazarus was in when Jesus finally arrived. In the tomb for four days, Lazarus was unquestionably dead. And that's why when Jesus later tells them to open up the tomb, that comes in chapter 11, verse 39, uh, Martha objects. She says, by this time, there will be an odor, Lord. When I was 13, I, it was the first time I read through the Bible myself, and uh, back then I was using the King James Version, and when I got to uh, John chapter 11, verse 39, it said, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. And because I was a 13-year-old boy, I thought that was the most hilarious Bible verse ever. But death isn't funny, is it? Especially not when it happens to someone you love. 
Mary and Martha were surrounded by family and friends who were grieving with them. And, and the custom was that all of those people would sit in and around the house together and mourn. Jewish law says that the first three days uh, were for weeping. And then the next seven days were for lamenting. And then the next 30 days uh, had to go before any normal life could resume. And that meant during those 30 days, no haircuts, no wearing freshly pressed clothes. 40 days of mourning. And I believe Mary and Martha and Lazarus must have been a very prominent family because many people showed up from miles away. In other words, there was a large, large crowd gathered there to comfort this family. And that meant there were going to be many eyewitnesses to what Jesus would do. The miracle where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the story of this miracle would travel everywhere because so many people saw it firsthand. And this astounding miracle was clear proof that Jesus was God in the flesh. It caused many to believe in him. And his enemies now would stop at nothing. Once he raised Lazarus from the dead, they would stop at nothing uh, to have him killed because Jesus' fame was exploding. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, I want you to appreciate that this scene perfectly demonstrates the different personalities of these two sisters that we've met before in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Martha is active and outgoing, social. She's a doer. Mary is inward, reflective, sensitive, a thinker. So when Jesus finally arrives, Martha is out there. She's in his face. She's expressing her disappointment. Mary stays inside. She avoids his face. She's hiding her hurt. She'll come out eventually, but not now. Now, in order to interpret this passage correctly, you must remember Martha's emotions. Not only is she upset and grieving her brother, she's disappointed. She's even angry with Jesus. So while she's respectful, Martha gets right to the point. Lord, if you had answered our message and come, came when we called, Lazarus would not have died. He would not have died. She could say this because she'd witnessed Jesus heal sick people many times. Martha knew he, he could have healed her brother. Why would he ignore that need? How could he not use his miraculous power for someone he loved? Haven't you felt that way? I have. God, if you're good, why did you let this happen to me? God, if you're kind, where are you when I need you? That's how Martha's feeling. Mary has the same feelings. She's just not going to leave the house. Not even for Jesus. She's going to come out later and say the exact same thing. But this... This emotion helps us to interpret Martha's last sentence here in this verse. Because some think that she's stating a belief that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. But that's not true, because when you read the entire story, you realize that's not at all what she thinks. She has zero expectation of what Jesus will do. Later, she even warns Jesus about opening the tomb, because that a decomposing body could be resurrected has not crossed her mind. Dr. Ken Quick says we must consider Martha's words at an emotional level. What would an intense, angry person say in such a situation? She would explain why she's angry 
and why she feels the right to be angry. Martha is saying, even now I know God answers your prayers and that if you had just been here and prayed for my brother, he would be alive today. But you weren't here, were you? Here's how Jesus responds. Verse 23, he said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, it's not in the text, but I am pretty sure that after Jesus said, your brother will rise again, Martha let out a great big sigh. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, it's true. All those people sitting in my house have been reminding me of that all week. I believe in the life to come. I'll see my brother again. You show up too late to heal Lazarus, and you just tell me stuff I already know. Thanks. It's a platitude. It's, it's the kind of thing that we tend to say to grieving people is how she takes this. Things like, he's in a better place now. Or, you'll see him again someday. It's true, but it's a cliche. It's an inch deep bumper sticker theology that does not soothe the pain. That's how Martha took Jesus' words. When I was in college, I had a professor whose wife died leaving him to care for three young children And he was a believer. He said to our class, the next person who says God works all things together for good, I'm going to punch in the mouth. It's true, but it doesn't soothe the pain at that moment to a grieving person. And Martha feels some bitterness and disappointment with Jesus' response. You didn't show up when I called, and now I must wait for the last day to see Lazarus again? How does that help me today? I know about the last day. How does that help me today? Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So as this devastated woman expresses her pain and disappointment, Jesus doesn't back away. He he doesn't shut her down for disrespecting him. He doesn't put her in her place. He meets her at her emotional level, face to face, and speaks truth to her grief. Jesus doesn't give Martha a slogan about heaven. He confronts her with himself. She sees the resurrection as some far off distant future event, but the resurrection is a person. The resurrection stands in front of her. So when suffering and loss come into your life, and you're disillusioned, you're angry, you're hurt. You can make the mistake of thinking that God has failed to show you love by preventing the bad stuff that's going on in your life. But understand that God mainly shows His love not by eliminating suffering, but by giving you Himself in Christ. That's how God shows His love most often. So in this situation, Jesus confronts Martha with who He is and asks if she believes. And that's really the main question for all of us today. You might be grieving today, grieving the disintegration of a marriage, the the death of your dream, the end of your finances, the ache of regret, the, the collapse of your health, the failure of your plans, the loss of your loved one. And Jesus stands in front of you, declaring that He is the resurrection and the life, and He asks, do you believe this? He's asking you, do you believe this? So don't measure the love of God for you 
by how much health, wealth, and comfort he brings into your life. Because if that were the measure of God's love, he really hated the disciples. Every last one of them. But that's not the measure of God's love. Right now, God is saying, I love you. My love isn't sparing you suffering and death. It is the gift of myself. Do you see me for who I really am? Come to me. I have much more to show you. So let's consider these words for a moment, the resurrection and the life. First of all, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. The Greek word is anastasis. And and so here, the, the, the truth is that through Jesus, you are raised from death. When he says he's the resurrection, he's saying, you're raised from death. It works this way. For all those whose trust is in Jesus, as Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead in your sins, but now you've been made alive in Christ. So you overcome spiritual death through Jesus. Every person lives under the death sentence of sin, eternal separation from God, but the resurrection has arrived in Christ. And Jesus took my sin on himself. He paid the full price on the cross by his death. His, His blood poured out. And it was guaranteed by his glorious resurrection on the third day and this resurrection is so so great that for all of those who believe death itself cannot end this new life this resurrection so so through Jesus you're raised from eternal death as well you are eternally alive because if you are in Christ he's conquered sin and death and hell for you now there's some children who were asked to write a sentence about what they believe about death Gilda age 8 said When you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look too good. Marcia, age nine, said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher's there too. Raymond, age 10, said, a good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. Stephanie, age nine, said, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay their bill. Those who accept that Jesus paid the bill are raised from death. He paid the price we cannot pay. And that's not just a promise for someday, it's a reality today. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, you experience life that cannot be ended by death. Now this morning, we're not going to get to the end of the story where Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the grave. It's amazing! But you know what? Lazarus is going to die again someday at some point. In fact, because Jesus raised him from the dead, his life was in greater danger. Now the religious people not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted Lazarus dead too uh, because so many people were being convinced by that that resurrection that Jesus was the Messiah. They, They wanted him dead. So why did Jesus raise Lazarus only to have him die again? Well, let me point out seven reasons. One, it further proved Jesus was God. Two, it prefigured the resurrection of all who believe. As Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. This is proof of that. Third, it showed Jesus' compassion. You look in this text and you see three different times enormous emotion expressed by Jesus over the death of his friend. In fact, he stands in front of that tomb knowing that in a moment he's going to call Lazarus back from the dead and Jesus weeps. Great compassion. For it displayed God's glory. The fact that Jesus rose, resurrected Lazarus was a testimony to the glory of God. 
Number five, it demonstrated Jesus' power, even over death itself. Number six, it caused many to believe. Many of you saw this, now turned to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And number seven, it set the stage for Jesus' own death and resurrection. See, a week later, Jesus would be executed. And then three days from then, rise to life. He would be executed and die, but he was raised to life never to die again. And because he lives, we too shall live. So that's the resurrection. And Jesus says, I'm the life. I am the zoe. And this speaks to the fact that through Jesus you enter real life. You enter real life. See, this word zoe is one that we've talked about every week. Zoe is not just about the physical, but about the eternal It is life that goes beyond this earth. It's a quality of life that transcends food and drink, blood and tears, work and rest and time and treasure. It is real, complete, genuine vitality that can only be experienced by those who belong to Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life if you don't believe. That's not what it means. Art, music, food, drink, sex, creation, relationships, beauty, dog videos can be appreciated by anyone and everyone. But there's a deeper level of pleasure available to the believer because you know who's behind it all. You know who made it all. And you know that the desires that awaken you because of all those things are ultimately satisfied only in Jesus. Now my mother turns 87 next month. And uh, when, I, when I talked to her a week ago, uh, she said that she had shoveled snow every day that week. And she says, now, now, it's not hard, it's very easy, because I go out every few hours and I, you know, I, sh- I just, I, it's like sweeping, really, just three inches at a time. So I keep on top of it, you know, all through the night. Okay, Mom. So, I mean, this is the kind of thing she does. She, she built this snowman this winter, that's my mom, the snowman she built. And that's my mom being defiant in the summer, mowing the grass on her property, Uh, Here's a sentence I never thought I'd say. I took these pictures from her Instagram account. (laughs) Well, what she does, okay, so here's some more. These are all flowers that she grew. She she grows beautiful flowers, spring and summer. Those are butterflies that she raised. She raises butterflies in her house, lets them free. She builds gardens and rock walls and pathways and and little dinette areas. I can't stop her. She feeds the birds. Here's the point. Constantly, she marvels over this plant or that flower or that animal or that colorful sunset and she says, isn't God so wonderful? See, the delight of what's in front of her is deepened because she knows the one who made it. That's Zoe. As we studied John 10 10 last week, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. 
Zoe is life that matters no matter how long it lasts. It's life that counts regardless of where it's lived. Uh, It's life that's satisfied no matter how little that you make, who you're married to, or how healthy you are. It's a life where the creator of everything claims you as his own. It's a life that exceeds the usual because it rests in the person of Jesus who is the life. And Jesus says, he asks, do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Now, Martha does a great job here. She doesn't say she believes this. She says, I believe you. I believe you. And then Martha gives a triple tribute to this friend who arrived too late. She says, you are the Christ. That is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised to free us from our darkness, our healer, our redeemer, the hope of Israel. You're the one we've been waiting for. It's a great pronouncement. And she says, you're the son of God. That's a title of Jesus used over 40 times in the New Testament. It recognizes that Jesus proceeds from God the Father. And by the way, until Jesus prayed to God as Father, no Jew did that. No one did that. That just was not acceptable. But Jesus, had, had, he came from the Father. He had an intimate, essential, eternal relationship with the Father. He's the Son of God. And third, she says, you are coming into the world. In other words, Jesus, you're the sent one. You're the one who's on a mission from heaven. Jesus entered our space, the long-awaited deliverer spoken of by the prophets. That's who he is. And when Martha says she believes him, the verb is in the perfect tense, which implies a past decision and a present state of mind. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha replies, I believe you are. And I think that's an ideal response for those of us who are in Christ. We hear the declarations of Jesus, the seven I am's that define who he is and what he does. And whenever Jesus says, I am, we can shout, you are. You are. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And we say, you are. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and we say, you are. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and we say, you are. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and we say, you are. Now, why does this matter? How does this help us in the messiness of today? So when I was writing these words, just finished, we got the news that Amy's brother died. So we'll be going to Joel's funeral next week in New York State. And, and I mean, there's all kinds of things I can say about that, um, but cancer took Joel's life from this earth, but Jesus is his life. And though he is dead, he is alive in Christ. Uh, Then consider, okay, his two sisters, Amy and Beth, his mom and dad, his wife, Bonnie, their three children, their little grandchildren. Of all the adults and, and all the friends and family, Joel's someone who testified of Jesus and ministered for Jesus his entire life. And he has a lot of those people. 
Um, what about that family, all of whom believe, all of whom follow Jesus too? Well, here's how that helps the messiness of that situation and any situation. That because I know Jesus, my eternity is secure in Him. He's transforming my life today. And as I grow in my knowledge and love of Jesus, He's shaping me. He's dealing with my failures and my regrets and my sins of the past. He's bringing comfort from my grief and my uncertainty and pain and doubts and fears. He's giving me new desires and affections as I'm being molded into the image of the Savior who is the life. So that in our stresses and our losses and hurts and sorrows, the living Jesus says, I am, and we say, you are. Thanks be to God.